Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we come to you and we talk about our favorite comic books, be they graphic novels, a collection, or a single issue sometimes. I am one of your hosts, Dallas. And I am and I said and. Why did I end that with a D? <laughs> and I am and, and and I am, and I am, and, okay. Um, yeah, impromptu episode, impromptu everything today, so. Yeah, so I think I'm going to stack this so it comes out after our main episode this week, which will be, I mean, if you look back at the feed, The Prince and the Dressmaker, a wonderful series that I know we had a wonderful conversation about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. I, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I was so smart. A really, I agree, a really great cap to our Pride Month coverage. Um, and now to get these gays out of here, we're here to talk about real <laughs> comics. Now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had so much fun reading books for Pride Month, reading comics that I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise with like mm-hmm. the dreaming, waking hours, and just having some really fun conversations. It doesn't have to end in june folks we can continue to be loud and proud all throughout the year but it's fucking over we're talking about final crisis now i was about to give you a compliment (laughs) just fucking right out the window done (laughs) enough of that um i was about to say wow dallas you're such a good good person great ally love being your friend love getting to talk about all this stuff with you and you're just like move bitch i'm not gay boom Back to the streets. We're, <laughs> we're here to talk about DC Comics. <laughs> you had your month, the next 11 are mine. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> anyway, we're reading the Punisher Max. Punisher Max. Every Garth Ennis comics all year long. <laughs> Back to when we were a real country and Miss Marvel had no pants. Exactly. Um, there's this TikTok account I follow that he's very funny he's like i'm here to give you fashion advice for the summer shirts yes pants no <laughs> oh it was, he made me he made me giggle i was like aye aye captain and that's why i've been wearing exclusively bo- booty shorts for the last two weeks oh god bless good for you had to Happy do my for you had to do my part for the country grow a mustache and start wearing booty shorts that was my gift for pride I know I've got a dumpy. Here you go. Happy Pride. <laughs> I, okay, I can't. I can't even. We're having, we're having fun so far. Anyway, what are we talking about? We're talking about Final Crisis, and very specifically, the best tie-in for Final Crisis. We're talking about the Legion of Three Worlds, everyone, because this is a Legion of Superheroes podcast now. I've just taken it over, and we are going to talk about that time that the Legion met up with the DNA Legion and with the Mark Wade Legion, and they were so good together, and the Brainiacs and the, the, the Matter Eater lads and the Arm Fall Off boys. And, oh, wait, you're looking at me weird. Were we talking about something different? Is this how I sound when I talk about the X-Men? Yeah, oh, oh, thousand percent. <laughs> you're like anyway here's all the reasons why timber wolf is gay um listen up <laughs> Ooh, i'm excited to get into legion at the end of the summer good and we cover that i really am hopeful that i can like get a foothold in because i really want to read the great darkness saga because tom king says that and squadron supreme are his two favorite comics ever oh man has taste 
Yeah, he does. And he's good at writing comics. Oh, don't say that. I can't. I can't get canceled again this week. <laughs> Rip the dream. Tricking me into liking the human target. Listen, I had to have someone else go down for it. <laughs> Gone down too much lately. I love that my take was like, so anyway, I get the role that Guy Gardner plays in the story. And then people were like, oh, so you're saying that Tora's is only strong because of abuse? I'm like, no. But if you want to misread what I was saying that much, please go for it. We'll <laughs> pop off. Live your best life. Twitter has been a hellscape. And that was a little bit of the inspiration behind our impromptu episode here to talk about Final Crisis. Grant Morrison, J.G. Jones, and Doug Mankey's masterpiece. I mean, I I love it. I know that this is kind of a mixed bag book for many people. Um before I get into it, Anne, do you want to talk a little bit about your relationship with Final Crisis, <laughs> your journey with it, your thoughts on it? Give the people oh, what they want. Oh, the journey. Oh, the journey is as old as time. So let's go back to, to Anne. We, we lad, stupid kid, thought she was a boy. It wasn't great. Um, tsk, 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 tsk. Um, I was just getting into the comics. I had found my gateway through DC. I was really liking Aquaman. I was checking out all the new 52 stuff I could, but I was like, I need more. I need to get a, a bigger gateway in. Where can I find more Aquaman? That was my, that was the first place I went. I was like, where can I find more Aquaman? And it's like, so it's hard to get a hand on those trades, but you can find him in a lot of the events. And I'm like, what are events? And they're like, you know, that civil war comic you read two issues of it's like that, but for DC. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God, that's the best thing that's ever existed ever. I can't wait. I'm going to read them all. And I picked up infinite crisis, read it, loved it. Aquaman was only in it for like one page, kind of bummed, really, really seriously bummed. Read blackest night. Aquaman was there a lot, much, much cooler tried reading crisis and infinite earths um young stupid didn't really get the the difference in time i didn't like that everyone kept narrating their thoughts i'm like this comic's old and stupid and i hate it and i never finished it the fourth one i tried have you ever finished finished crisis hold on hold on on. no 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 we learned we learned we got better okay good 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 good. yeah no only stupid when i was young um i'm still stupid for the record (laughs) dear listener i'm still stupid we'll continue to be the fourth big DC book I ever read was Final Fucking Crisis. Oofa. Because I was like, event books. So I just get all the ones that, that say crisis? Okay, cool. And I did go from Final Crisis to Identity Crisis. So, you know, that was fun. And whew, yeah, I had a, a roller coaster. I had no idea what the fuck was going on in this entire book. This entire book was like a hodgepodge of just like random ideas and characters thrown at the wall to see what's that to see what's stuck. That's how it felt to me as a child. <laughs> I was like, this is just vibes. This is a thousand percent just vibes. There's the green lantern. They're talking about a, a bunch of different worlds. Um, there's primate kid for some reason. Um, okay. Now there's, now there's this dead place. Also Superman's a robot now. Um, also Green Lanterns are falling through a gravity hole. The earth, something's happening to the earth. Why is Darkseid this old guy who runs a club? What is going on? And I think I I put the book down when I was finished with it. I'm like, I can't do that again. I can't do it again. I tried it again a few months later. (laughs) (laughs) And I, for the life of me, I cannot tell you what persuaded me to pick up Final Crisis again. 
I'm ready to be heard again. <laughs> there was some, I think it was something like someone told me that they liked this book. This book has a plot. I'm going to find that plot. So I tried again. And having in those, the couple months since then been introduced to more DC characters, been introduced to more of the storylines. I got more. I got more out of it. I'm like, okay, I understand who like, let's say, um, I know who this tattoo guy is now. I know um, what's happening with the Spectre now. It's like, I some of these pieces have come together. I, I get it. I read through Jeff John's Green Lantern run. I knew who the robot like alpha lanterns were. That makes sense. It's just tiny little pieces that came together to make it a little bit more cogent, I guess, mm-hmm. if that's the word I'm looking for. And this cycle would repeat itself over the next nine years about once or twice a year, I would read Final Crisis and I would get a little better each time. Just a little bit. Just a, a little, little bit. And I think the biggest leap I took was finally the one that happened like last year, where I was trying to figure out, not last year, 2020, where I asked on Twitter, what's Darkseid's deal in Final Crisis? Why is he like this, this being that can just jump from body to body? And it's like, why is he outside the multiverse map? And someone pointed out that Darkseid is a being who, in essence, exists in every version of the mul- every universe, just a part of him. And there's they're all part of like this main Darkseid. And I'm like, that is wild and crazy, but it makes so much sense. And through Final Crisis and reading it and like studying it so many times over these years, I came to the conclusion that it's like the story wasn't interesting me as much as like the lore and the mythology of it was. I love the idea of the the multiverse and the um the monitors and everything they were doing with the orrery of worlds and I thought that was so cool and I took that to heart. That's where that's where my study went. I'm like I there was a point where I could tell you everything about DC's multiverse to a T and I'm like this book taught me and it almost got me there. It's it's weird that way. Like it it had its claws in me and it wouldn't let go. There's not a lot of stories like that where I just feel like there's so much in this book that you can still be learning from it 10 years down the the road. And that's crazy to me. I mean, this might be a little crazy for people to hear. I am a big fan of Grant Morrison. Oh, shit. (laughs) I know. The floor here is also made of floor. Water is wet. And Dallas likes Grant Morrison comics. But... Something special that Grant does is they they take comic books seriously, but they also don't write a comic book without a point. Mm-hmm. Like I, for instance, I love the Sinestro Corps War from the like one third way mark of Jeff Johns Green Lantern run. I don't think that's about anything. Like many things happen. Events transpire, they're good character beats, they're big stakes. Like I like it. It feels like a popcorn flick in a comic book. But I have never once sat back and been like, what did that really mean? You know, because I to me that feels like a futile pursuit. Maybe I'm just mean, maybe I'm just too dumb to see it, but it it's not a worthwhile pursuit for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Final Crisis feels like a book that I read this week and I saw the world I felt like I was living in. 
And I felt like I saw a lesson about how I can live in that world, how I can beat that world, and how I can invite others to do the same. And Grant, to me, does better than anyone else the real concepts of how good defeats evil. It's it's not purely escapism. It feels like a roadmap. And that is, that's the core of why I like these books, right? Like I point to All-Star Superman as the best superhero comic ever made, not only because it's zany and fun and big ideas, excellent craft on display, but if a superhero is like the uber human, right? The best version of us, All-Star Superman is a comic book that shows you exactly what it means to be the very best of humanity. And if you follow Superman's example in All-Star Superman, you too can be Superman, right? And so I think if you're coming to this podcast, you're like, I need the plot described to me. I need to know what happened, how it got there. Anne is your lady. She's a genius. She's going to unwind it for you and be like, this happened to this. This character beat was cool. I am approaching Final Crisis as the finale to Grant Morrison's themes across their superhero work up to this point. And that is incredibly fun to me. But then even more so, I think there is an excellent discussion about fascism, nihilism, and ultimately how hope can defeat both that I want to get into a little further down the road. So I think we should talk about like the nitty gritty of the story, the craft, why we like it. And then maybe about some of the larger themes and then how we feel like it applies to us right here in this moment that feels very scary and dark. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think just in terms of story and how Grant approaches this story and how they went about doing this with Doug Mankey and um, J.G. Jones, I think this is the story that if someone wants to to ask me what's Grant Morrison's writing style like, I will point them to this book because it's, um, what's the, what's the proper way to say this? Um, batshit insane, I believe is the correct terminology. Um, I remember it was one of the read throughs where I finally gave a chance to give this introduction by, um, it's Jay Babcock who wrote the intro for the deluxe edition and the beginning of it starts what are you laughing at? My girlfriend asks in the way you do when you're concerned for someone's mental health. In my best solemn narrator impression voice, I read aloud as he speaks to the vast slow motion invasion of reality begins. Machines bigger than the cities arrive out of the void and anchor themselves to the garbage heaps of limbo. It does not say that, she says with a breaking smile. I turn the page and continue. Phantom armies clash on the battlefields of limbo. The strange last outpost last outpost of existence, the forgotten versus the yet-to-be. Like some half-remembered dream, all the rules of existence are broken. It does not say that, she says, starting to chuckle. And then Superman yells, there are 52 worlds in the multiversal superstructure. Warn everyone like Paul Revere. I can't talk. I'm sorry. Paul Revere, tell them Mandrock is coming. I'll do what I can to plug the hole in forever. And wow. And this is a Superman comic book. People are reading this. It's Superman Beyond 3D number two, which is part of the Final Crisis miniseries, the number one title from DC right now. 
We're stopped at a red light that never turns. So I show her the comic book and she starts laughing too. How old are we? We're both 38. But in this moment, I feel like I'm 12 years old, reading aloud from Christ's on Infinite Earths, riding home from an after-school trip to Comics Plus in Pomona, California with my 8th grade friends, courtesy of his friends, effortless beat um, of someone's endlessly benevolent Superman. Supermom, sorry. And it goes on like that. And it was the first time I realized what this the spirit of this book the spirit of this book was and the spirit of what Grant always tries to do. And it's just it comes from such a youthful love of this medium and what it can do. And they always stretch that as far as it can go. You'll see you'll read in your life a million and one comics runs where people play it safe. Where we've seen storylines or story beats that get hit over and over and over again. Like I can't tell you I love Aquaman right now. I'm really, really bored with the idea of Atlantis is angry at the surface, so they're invading the surface again. I'm I'm over that story beat. It's been done so many times. Go back to Future State Aquaman, and you have the idea of, oh shit, Aquaman and Aqualass are traveling the fucking stars through a series of connections in the ocean that take them from planet to planet. That's wacky. That's insane. That's wonderful. I love it. That takes these characters in a new direction. I feel like whenever Grant picks up the pen they do something that we've never seen before and they have the most fun in this medium. And that's what really cemented final crisis is a, a real favorite of mine because I'm like, I don't understand every single plot beat that happens. I don't understand even after all these years where every character ends up at the end of this or how they got to be where they are. There's still tie-ins I haven't read. I still haven't finished like seven soldiers of victory, which I'm told is really important going into this. Yeah, I know. You beat me to that. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a good I've read the first, like, half of the series. I, I haven't finished the Zatanna issue yet. That's where I stopped yet. The first Zatanna issue. Okay. See, Seven Soldiers is fun. It definitely primes you for, like, where Grant is as a writer. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, we're going to be talking about story. And, like, the story is a character. And then also, this is how you learn about all the new god stuff. Mm-hmm. Is through Seven Soldiers. Yeah. So. See, that's something I didn't know for years reading this story. That there's like, by the way, if you want all the information, you got to start here. You got to follow this trail. And it's exciting to know that there's a comic that I've been reading since I started that I can still learn new things about and appreciate in a different way. And it's just, for all of its faults, it's so cool to see moments where Superman controls a three-dimensional um, super robot of himself to beat an, a vampire sucking on the energy of the universe at the bottom of Limbo, you know? It is absolutely fucking insane in all the best ways. One of my favorite quotes from Grant Morrison about Final Crisis comes from Super Gods, where they say, I wanted to write a story where the idea of the pages on which the story is being told become disgusted with the story on it. And so they start to devour it. And in devouring the story, the story begins to make less and less sense. They're like, that's what I did with Final Crisis. And I don't think I ever made it not make enough sense. Like, I don't think it was quite unhinged (laughs) enough to sell that point. I was like, Grant, I love you. Everyone else thinks it's unhinged enough. That puts such a smile on my face because the idea that I'm at the point where I'm like, I almost got it. 
definitely means it wasn't unhinged enough. <laughs> you could do better. I should have spent my whole life trying to crack this thing. It should have been a futile, a futile thing. Oh, I, you know what? I, <laughs> I want to take a moment and I want to hand this book to Lexi when she gets the chance to, because I want to see where she's at now. If she reads this from the same place that I did when I started, I want to know what Lexi thinks of this book, where she is right now. And then she, read the, hmm? she would absolutely qualify. This as bad grant. <laughs> thousand and ten percent have you i know you've read multiversity but it was a long time ago yes i don't think i've picked it up since maybe 2017 2018 okay it's been a bit so i like i said dear listener um this was my first time through Final Crisis, which people thought was crazy. People were like, how have you not read Final Crisis? I was like, there was other stuff going on. I don't know. And But I have read Multiversity a little bit like you, Anne. Like, I've read Multiversity probably like nine, ten times trying to understand it all. Mm-hmm. And so coming back to read this, it almost felt like the prequel Star Wars movies. Where I was like, that's where that character comes from? That's what mm-hmm. this is? Oh my yeah. gosh. Like... It just felt like it was seeping into the cracks of my questions of multiversity. And now all I want to do is read multiversity again. It's so great when you get that feeling. Cause now you know where Nyx comes from. And you mm-hmm. also know what was going on with um, Overman and mm-hmm. all of his Nazi shit. Yeah. It's just so good. This comic, it feels like straight superheroes to the veins. Mm-hmm. You know, I love I love that intro saying this feels like Crisis on Infinite Earths, where you don't quite grasp what's going on, but you just kind of have to take the story's word for it. You're like, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. You are going to plug a hole in forever. I believe I was, you. I watched um, Everything Everywhere all at once again with some friends yesterday, and um, it was their first time seeing it. And even the second time through, I'm like, there is so much happening in this movie. I hope everyone's following along okay. That's me whenever someone reads through Final Crisis, where it's like, I hope you get enough. I hope you get everything out of it that I did. So as a big DC fan and a mm-hmm. DC continuity fan, yes. um, how do you feel like this exists not only as a sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths, but as the final beat in Dan DiDio's Crisis trilogy that he wanted to do? It's, it's interesting because I feel like there's a big part of me that that feels like this happened too soon after Infinite Crisis for my taste. Because Infinite Crisis, if you wanted that that trilogy, it should have been just like done and done. And I don't think it, it got enough room to breathe after that. Just because every time a crisis happens, continuity gets reset, characters come back, characters die. We get to see a new DC universe. Post-Infinite Crisis, I don't think we got to breathe in that one for long enough before this one happened. And I think that's when they started ramping everything up. We got events starting every like three years, then every two years. And it just became too much for me. I think this was the start of that. I think I would have appreciated more if it had come a little, a little later as a direct sequel to like crisis on infinite earth. So I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I think it closes out a lot of those questions in very interesting ways, very different ways. It's, it's, it reminds me in terms of like execution of like the difference between Thor one and Thor Ragnarok, just in terms of how the creative team approached it. And you're like, you can tell these are two different people, 
but the characters are the same. The characters are the same, the beats are the same, but just the style is different. So I think that's what I appreciate the most out of it is it doesn't feel like their traditional crisis story. It feels like something that was actually, I don't want to say had thought put into it, but you know, it was original. It was fresh. Um, I'm going to allow you to say, put some thought into it. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Just, um, I was looking through infinite crisis number two, looking for a good panel for, um, uh, a joke tweet <laughs> you know which one i'm talking about and i was realizing going through it's like this is all exposition there is nothing that happens in this issue i don't know what i'm gonna do <laughs> um i i like that this is a book that actually feels like it goes somewhere which is really 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 cool for a crisis book and i like that it and it starts with barry and it ends with barry and even though Barry comes back, I think that's a good beat. I think that's a good callback. I think that's a good usage of um, imagery and actually having a good callback. There's, look, I I feel like I'm sounding scatterbrained, but there's so much that happens in such a short time in Final Crisis. There's so much to touch on. Do we want to maybe walk through in this portion the usage of each of the members of the Justice League? Oh, yeah, because, absolutely. Like, because each issue kind of has a focus character. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're right on the cover. They tell you who's in charge of each issue for the most and, part, for the most part. And I mean, this also serves as a finale to Grant's time on the Justice League of America. Right. They mm-hmm. you get to see Grant Morrison have all the toys at once, which is something they got a surprisingly few times the more you like look at the quality of output of Grant Morrison and what Dan DeDio let them do. The math doesn't math. Like, how how did you meddle so much in action comics when all Grant ever did was write good Superman? But so do we want to talk first about Hal Jordan and the use of the Green Lantern Corps? Yes. So this is one of the interesting ones because it starts with Hal and it focuses on them pretty well, but it takes them off the board so very quickly. And I think that was very important because at this time in DC Comics, the Green Lanterns were the big thing. John's run had just started. It was hitting off very, well, very, very well. I think this is post-Sinestra Corps War, if I'm not mistaken, because the Alpha Lanterns definitely came after Sinestra Corps War. I haven't read them yet, so they definitely come after Sinestro. Okay, yeah. So it's it's pretty much at the height of its popularity. It's It made a lot of sense for DC to be like, if you want a crisis, or not DC, but for Grant to say... I want a crisis. I want the focus here. I'm getting rid of the space cops. I'm I'm keeping them out of the picture for now. Earth is on its own. And I think that's the perfect way to start this. And having um ooh, who takes who takes over the Alpha Lantern? Um is it Granny Goodness? It's Granny, yeah. Yeah. Granny. That was such such a great probably my favorite reveal <laughs> of all the um the the mind hostage people. <laughs> How do I the the body uh, snatchers <laughs> yeah the invasion of the body snatchers yeah exactly i think that one was my favorite because i love the the police procedural drama of it all which you know grant eventually gets into more with their own green lantern run but what not to send you down a rabbit hole okay. what do you think of grant's take on the green lanterns as police procedural do you think it was in bad taste in 2018 through 2020 do you think that it was a fun homage? Do you think they were successful? Just I mean, like two minutes. Give me two minutes. 
bad taste i can't really say because like honestly <laughs> honestly fuck hal jordan i don't care how anyone looks at him <laughs> um i think it was a very very different take on the green lanterns which is exactly what the green lanterns needed in the moment because for so long it felt like everyone was writing the coattails of John's run. They're just like, we're going to focus on the core. We're going to do all this stuff with the other lantern rings. We're going to do all this stuff with the emotional spectrum. It's going to be so cool. It's just going to be these lanterns out there doing this shit on repeat forever. And Grant's act, Grant was the first person who came in. It's like, okay, what if we didn't just do a repeat of everything we've been doing for the last 15 years and tried something different? And that I'll always be appreciative of. Whether or not it always landed for me, whatever. I haven't finished it yet, so I can't say exactly how that feels for me. My very favorite Grant Morrison concept ever. One that is so common that Addison has started finishing it for me whenever it comes up is when the Collector of Planets comes to Earth and takes Earth out of Earth's orbit. And then the humans are like... He's, and then the collector's like, I asked permission and I was told it was okay. And the humans are like, you did not ask us. And he's like, why would I ask you? I asked the ants. There are so many more ants than you guys. And I loved that. That like made me laugh. It made me think. And it has stayed in my brain since I read that single issue. That is, that's honestly, that single issue is probably my favorite of the whole run. It's <laughs> that was really good. So, that was probably the most, like, um, <laughs> probably the most topical issue of the whole thing. That was, oh, sorry. They're Focus. pretty good. They're pretty good at writing pretty comics. nifty. I think they have a future in this. <laughs> I, think the, I think they're going to make a name for themselves. I think they might make it now that their next project is a novel. They're taking a break from comics. Ooh, I can't wait to see what that's like. I can't wait to see what because I haven't read Super Gods yet, so I don't know what Morrison prose looks like. It's fun. It's very fun. I can live with fun. They wrote some prose chapters for Xanadoom that because Super Gods is like memoir, right? It's not fiction, right? And so the first narrative fiction of Morrison's that I've read was in Xanadoom, where they very much did. A like Doc Savage, uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam riff from the point of view of the villain, which was very mm-hmm. fun. Um, but I mean, Grant's next comic is a romp through occult magic starring a a punk rock drag queen, as I think what Grant said. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds on point. That sounds like a Grant Morrison book. Um, so you liked the Green Lanterns being shoved off until the end. It made so much sense, yeah. And I like that they're the whole time they're racing, Earth keeps slipping further and further away. It's like, okay, so the Earth's falling into a gravity well. It's going to take us some time, but we're still trying. And I like that it cuts back to them every once in a while. Still trying. We're still, we're still coming. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. They'll be coming around the mountain when they come. <laughs> it was fun setting it up. Uh, with the police procedural elements as a murder mystery as well mm-hmm. for the first little bit. Oh yeah. Um, and then the the solution for how it was the murder was, and then the introduction of Grant's very favorite superhero into the story, Barry Allen, was very fun. That was 
an iconic moment. Barry Allen chasing a bullet through time, through time. as it was shot from the future. Racing back. death. <laughs> Racing death, which is incredible, <laughs> iconic. And that picking up all the Flash family along the way. I thought the Flashes were used great in this story. Oh, for sure. It's They were used great in this story, although it gave everyone else in the future an excuse to never use them great again. Very true. But you know what? I'm not going to blame Graham for that. Oh, no. <laughs> because they used <laughs> it well. Oh, that's um. Grant gave John's an opening. Grant couldn't have seen that coming. <laughs> that wasn't on him. That's a great just, way of summing up fifty-two yeah. as well. <laughs> he, held, he held the door open for a real slime ball. It's not his fault. He didn't. They didn't know. It's fine. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Yeah, the Flash family is a really fun corner of DC for me. I You've been a bad example to me in that I kind of like savor and go slowly through comics now. Ooh. Whereas I used to, I'd pick a run and I'd read that run. And then I'd pick a run and I'd read that run. And now I've got like 19 runs in the air that I'm like. All the time. Because of you, because of your bad habits. It's not a bad. Ha- Listen, life is more fun. L- listeners, um, life is more fun when you just read whatever you're vibing with at the moment. You know, <clears throat> don't force yourself to go through an entire run in one take. Save some for later. Don't eat the whole cake in one sitting. You're going to get fat. Listen, I think reading Grant's entire Batman run three omnis in a row is what made my ass so fat. So. <laughs> The world's welcome for that one. Um, but yeah, so that's the reason I'm only halfway through the Mark Wade flash run, even though I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And because I'm only halfway through it, I keep like people talk about it like it's the greatest comic run of all time. And I keep being like, really? That's your pick? And then I have to remind myself, like, you're only halfway through the story, buddy. Like, you've really liked mm-hmm. it so far. But like, I keep being like, it's really good, but best ever. And then I'm like, well, you haven't read the end. Numb nuts. What are you talking about? Me. That's me reading Sandman. I was like, this is pretty good. It's not in my top 10 or anything. And then I got to like the last four volumes and I just breezed through those because I had to. And I'm like, yep, nope. Top 10. Top five, actually. Maybe top three. Maybe top one. Who knows? Who knows? It's up there. I mean, my top three being Saga, All-Star Superman, and Dan Slott, Silver Surfer. Uh, that that's is a, a sexy trinity. That is pretty hard to break through. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't even know if I have a Trinity yet because I have to keep separating in my mind runs that I have fun with versus runs I thought were the best <laughs> because I I see them as two different things in my head. It's like Aquaman and Captain Marvel are my favorite heroes, but I think Superman's the best hero. <laughs> I think Superman is the best hero too. Mm-hmm. And so does Grant Morrison. Their favorite is Flash, but the best is Superman. See, all the smart people do this. All the smart people divide into the best and favorites. That you're allowed true. to do that, by the way. If you want Glup Shadow to be your favorite Star Wars character, you're allowed, just so long as you admit that Chopper is the best Star Wars character. General Grievous. General Grievous. <laughs> I don't know why I said Chopper. I fucking hate droids. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Grievous was good. Should make Grievous great again. Make Grievous... Make a Grievous again. MAGA, if you will. <laughs> For Kenobi season two. <laughs> I haven't even finished season one. It ends exactly as you think. Yeah. 
he dies. Sorry, spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Uh it it went off the rails for me when Darth Vader showed up in episode three, like already, and he was like, I'm gonna drag you through this fire. I was like, This feels weird to me. I don't know. I don't I, know why I don't drive with this, but I don't. See, that moment I liked. I didn't like that it felt so anticlimactic when he showed up. Yeah, it was just, just kind of like, like, here he is. Dun, 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 dun. Strolling through the street. Just <laughs> going for a stroll. <laughs> Dance! Boogie Wonderland! And you're like, good moves, Darth Vader, but what are you doing here? <laughs> you're supposed Such to be a- scary. Such a shame, because those first two... Um, th- I thought the first two episodes were phenomenal. I agree. Yeah. Like, this is some world-class Star Wars. And then the next episode just slowed down a little too much for me. Yeah. But this is not a Star Wars podcast. Oh, yeah, right. We're talking Final Crisis shit. Okay, yeah. This is a Flash podcast right now. (laughs) How do you feel about the Flash family in general? The Flash family is... They sit for me with DC Comics in this wonderful place that I call Wasted Potential. (laughs) (laughs) It's where Kara it's, it's where Supergirl lives too. It's where Supergirl lives. It's where I'll, it's where Mary Marvel's been living for the last fifteen years. It's um oh we'll get to that too. Trust me, we will get to that. My um queen. My queen. It's where Themyscira has been existing until very recently. It's DC has a lot of characters there. Um and it's it's such a shame because I think all of them have such unique personalities and attachments to each other and to the speed force that it's just from a, a, like a lore perspective. It's so fascinating getting to see them interact with each other. Something that's really fun about reading final crisis is a little bit in the same way that Jonathan Hickman's secret wars is like the finale to 10 years of nonstop, excellent Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. Final crisis is sort of the finale of what, to me, is my very favorite era of DC. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not super well-read in DC, but from, like, 1997 to, like, 2007, they could not miss. And I have read a lot of crap from that era. <laughs> and it is all good. And <sighs> just like Barry Allen saves the day in this final crisis, um, one of my favorite things, one of the kindest things I think Grant has said about any other creator was they said that Mark Wade. And his Flash run saved superhero comics from the 90s. Like they, at least the quality of them. There were a lot of things that went on behind the scenes to save the actual industry when it went under. But Grant points to Mark Wade's use of the Flash as the beacon that led into this incredible era of DC Comics. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, issue three... It has Supergirl on the cover, but really it's like the big battle issue. Yeah. Right. It has Supergirl on the cover. I actually don't even know if she appears for more than a single panel in this issue. I think she shows up towards the end right before like everyone assembles and she says goodbye to a cat. But the bigger impact is felt from um, the Supergirl from a different universe when she shows up. Because, you know, it's. I feel like that's the part you'd be a little bit more informed on than I am because you've read Multiversity more recently than me. But getting that homage to 
the original crisis where Supergirl died and having it happen again, except from a different universe. I think that expands the scope of this one to feel like it's actually this huge multiversal crisis and gives us those first like big hints of that because before everything feels very centered on earth. Like it's first the crime procedural and they're trying to figure out what happened to Orion. And then after that, there's, um, you know, sorry, refreshing myself on issue two. I didn't have the time to read through the entire story before this. <laughs> I pulled a, I pulled a Lexi. I was, um, I was busy today. And also in my defense, impromptu, impromptu episode. It was an impromptu episode. Oh. Issue two, we are in Japan and we meet the Justice right. League of Japan. And mm-hmm. then we basically, we find out that how Jordan gets blamed for uh, the murder. Mm-hmm. We find out that the Alpha Lanterns are baddies. And Lois, Lane's bl- um, Lois Lane is bombed. Lois Lane is bombed. And then... Batman's captured. Yep. And then the flashes are chasing the time bullet. Yeah, so you get the hints that something big is happening. But when you get a dead hero from another world, you start to finally, it starts to finally sit in that things are about to expand outwards very, very rapidly. So I think, I think that was smart. And getting that first introduction to that world before we actually spend some time with Overman later, that makes a lot of sense to me. We also get the introduction of Mary Marvel as one of the Furies. Yeah. What did you think of that? So Mary Marvel before this was going through some shit. Um, It was in the aftermath of 52 where Mary had been injured by Black Adam um, and went into a coma. When she woke up, she had no powers. This is the stuff that um, you miss if you don't read Countdown, which, by the way, no one needs to read Countdown. So Mary, who is for some reason very, very desperate to get powers back and will do anything to do it, goes and asks Black Adam for some of his power and he gives it to her and it sends her in this um, downward spiral where she just gets more and more corrupted by this power and that leaves her vulnerable to corruption from Darkseid, which leads her into one of the most interesting phases of any teenager's life where she is rebelling and I don't know how else to describe it. She goes through some shit in this and her costume certainly a choice it i've never really clicked with me why grant chose this to happen to mary because mary's a character who gets thrown under the bus a lot and it kept happening after this it's it's a beat that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me yeah i don't think i have a ton of strong opinions i've never really read a mary marvel comic Mm -hmm. i've read um Grant's work on Multiversity with the Mar- Captain Marvel family. And I wrote, I read Jeff Smith's Shazam book and really like both of those. But other than that, I kind of just know the Captain Marvel family through osmosis and like bumping into them and things. <clears throat> and so for me, and I mean, we can kind of like go into a conversation about Wonder Woman as well. I think I understand the decision to take all these like powerhouse female characters and like have them be turned first as the Furies, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think I like it. Yeah, if it makes, makes it makes sense from a lore perspective because if Darkseid's recreating everything on Earth, he needs his Furies because those are just a, 
a crucial part of that that fourth world lore, just part of apocalypse lore. It's something he needs, and taking those from Earth's heroes makes sense on that level. But also at the same time, it feeds into a lot of bad like stereotypes when it comes to writing women in comics, where we've talked before, like especially in that Supergirl episode where we talked about the urge to turn powerful female heroes into villains and how that happens more often than not where it's like this is the only interesting thing we can do with them yeah and i i do know that grant had did feel bad about that basically Mm -hmm. and that that led into their pushing so hard to be the writer for wonder woman earth one which listener you can go back and listen to our coverage of wonder woman earth one to find out how we think they did but it definitely this feels like the boys are here to save the day in a way that to me, Grant Morrison comics don't feel that way as often as other people's. The other two in the Trinity get to play a big role. Batman, Superman both have their, we save the role moments. Wonder woman has her, I'm writing a, a hyena in a weird fetish mask moment. And that's, that feels weird. And then especially weird because I mean, in issue seven, six or seven, we have mm-hmm. the beat where she, with her lasso of truth, is what like breaks the spell of dark side, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I like that beat. I agree that truth is the only thing that can defeat fascism and the anti-life equation. Mm-hmm. But it feels like a weird way to take Wonder Woman off the board until the end. And because like that's what it feels like the desire is, is... Mm-hmm. I want Wonder Woman to save the day. I want Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman to save the day. But I need to take them all off the board so the bad guys can win. Yeah, and, and two of them get to go on their own journeys while taken off the board. Yeah, they get to go have adventures. And then Wonder Woman gets to be an antagonist until her part. Mm-hmm. And I, I I didn't like that beat. Yeah, I didn't she, love it. It makes her feel less like a character, more like a, a piece on a chessboard that just needs moved. Yeah. Um, also in issue three, we have Alan Scott gathering together the gigantic roster of the Justice League, mm-hmm. right? Is that, is this the first time that happened or was that like an homage to something that was common? Um, I mean, this was a period where team ups between the JSA and the JLA were pretty common. I think that's one of my favorite things about the 2000, like late 90s, 2000s era of DC is just like, we have the JSA and the JLA on the same earth. Might as well use it to the best of our, (laughs) to the best of our advantage. And I think that's great. I love seeing the legacies interacting with their, their mentors and the predecessors. I love that family aspect that still hasn't returned to DC. It's from that perspective, it's fun. And it's also, I think in terms of just the narrative story, it really highlights that they had everyone together, but without the Trinity there, they still fell. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the biggest beat of issue three, right? Is mm-hmm. the heroes lose. Oh yeah. Which was a common theme at this point. Uh, Grant talks about this in super gods where they wanted to do their version of the heroes lost, which had become an increasingly common trope during the post nine 11 era like reading this comic now in 2022 i think it's we forget that it is only five years removed from 9-11 the world that this exists in the sort of nihilism the sort of we've we've lost the good fight in quotes already and i think 
writing to that moment, it's an interesting choice in issue three to go right to now we're going to teach you how to survive when it doesn't feel like there's any hope. Right. And I, I don't want to get too out of myself because again, I want to talk about themes and kind of its own thing, but the distribution of the anti-life equation being through the internet Mm -hmm. is a stroke of genius in my mind. feels very prescient. Yeah. It feels (laughs) too scarily familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And so after this, we kind of, at least in my trade paperback, we get the break for Superman Beyond. Mm-hmm. It's reading this in trade. It's really interesting because you go from that big reveal at the end of issue three that the flashes have skipped forward in time a little bit and that Earth has already been transformed and that they're too late to stop it. And you're like, wow, what happens next? And you're like, okay, but first interlude. Mm-hmm. And the first several times I read through this, it took me so long to connect what was happening in these two issues to the main story because that disconnect felt very strong. I mean, yeah, it, I don't know where the best place to read this is, but you definitely have to read it before Superman comes back. Mm-hmm. You know, it, cause it happens right after the bombing in issue two, right? Mm-hmm. So it feels like it should, and it happens. The whole thing happens in the span of one heartbeat. Which rules. Which really, really rules. And it has forever plagued me in terms of continuity. It's like, well, if this happens in the span of one heartbeat and Superman gets back after that heartbeat, then shouldn't he be back before they take over the Earth? Or what was going on there? Did I miss something in the reading? I didn't even think about that. Son of a bitch. I didn't use my brain for that. I was using my brain to think about how Superman, as a symbol of hope, is the answer to nihilism. I was not thinking about. Okay, so you're thinking nerd things. I'm thinking the other nerd things. You're thinking geek things. I'm thinking nerd things. (laughs) Oh, so that's the difference. Okay, fine. Well, in that case... um... (laughs) Well, actually, uh, Superbad had to embrace uh, Ultrabad in order to power the idea robot... In order to fight the giant vampire. You see, actually, this is pretty unrealistic because if Overman could lift the book with infinite pages, then that means his skill set is definitely well over nine thousand. He's <laughs> even on the this, Superman's only a nine. <laughs> this is not very well balanced. Uh, what the hell does it mean to be continued on his gravestone? Seems a little pretentious to me. <laughs> he didn't even die. What the fuck? He didn't. Why did he have a gravestone? He went back to his own world within a heartbeat. Honestly, this is bullshit. You're telling me that this new character, this legacy character, Nick Suatu, he gets in the yellow submarine from the Beatles, like he's Doctor Who, and he hip scops around collecting Superman. It seems a little bit far fetched for me. Anyway, Ex- hold up, hold up. Excuse me. Um, his name isn't Doctor Who. It's just the Doctor. Thank you very much. I thanks. Um, fake fake nerd. I hate you. <laughs> I'm going to burn the TARDIS to the ground. This is the best bit we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to spend time in the Yellow Submarine with all the Supermen. Personally. I think this is the part where the story gets the most interesting. Where we get the most in-depth exploration of the DC... Everything the DC multiverse has to offer. 
And it's what makes me want to go back. And you said this filled in the gaps for you in Multiversity. I feel like Multiversity helped fill in the gaps for this story for me when I read it. And that's so, so special. This it does. Is- it does mm-hmm. read that way. I'm so glad I read Multiversity first. Yeah. Which is very funny considering Grant's thoughts about time and the fourth dimension. It's funny that Multiversity came out second, but mm-hmm. it feels like it should be read before Superman Beyond. Mm-hmm. And I loved I loved the page where Superman in the Yellow Submarine enters the fourth dimension being portrayed as comic panels. Mm-hmm. Because even just last week in their newsletter, Grant talked about how someone in the fourth dimension would look down at our lives in the third dimension like we look at a comic book, able to flip between different time periods and different events. Like our whole life story is in front of them to be interacted with however we want. And so they drew the comparison, like how we interact with the 2D world is how people mm-hmm. above us interact with us. And so That's... It, it was fun to see it on the page. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite splash pages ever. It's gorgeous. I love the authority spaceship as well. Just cruising <laughs> along. It's, it's you no know, hints at the future. Grant Morrison can see the future. They knew. Grant, I am super into the authority Morrison. Uh, yeah, There's... so I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on like the actual story of this one and not just the themes of Superman Beyond. Ooh, then so, tell us about it. Yeah, so tell me if I'm wrong. But basically, in order to save Lois Lane, Superman has to go on this Herculean task where he basically has to collect the substance that exists in the bleed, which is the mm-hmm. space between spaces. And in order to do that, uh, he is collected by one of the watchers is that who this woman is the monitors the mo- that's right they're the same thing. <laughs> shut up the no, monitors the monitors oh. collect all the supermen and the main character supermen are superman ultraman captain marvel and dr manhattan i don't remember what his name is in this at adam something captain adam yeah, Captain Adam. And they then are taken to Limbo, mm-hmm. which is like basically the overspill gutter underneath the orrery of worlds mm-hmm. where all the forgotten ideas go. Which is fun because all these characters actually appeared in comics before. That rules. That rules. Um, and we find out basically that... The story, the pages of the book are as important as the story that is written on them. And the first of the, what are these guys called? The monitors. The first of the monitors observing the story that was being told was frightened by it and encapsulated it. Mm -hmm. And then like fled never to be seen again and then we learn that basically we learn entropy that the world will end in destruction and bad and like the bad guys win is what they learn from reading the infinite book and Mm -hmm. superman says not in my christian minecraft server and so then (laughs) he combines forces with ultraman in order to become the fully realized idea of Superman. And that idea 
of Superman is able to defeat the original monitor who is a baddie vampire mm-hmm. that eats story. Mandrock. Mandrock eats story and is also kind of like a big stand in for nihilism, right? Nothing makes sense, nothing matters, and hope is silly. And we get to see how the idea of Superman played out over an infinite amount of, well, 52 specifically, worlds, is able to defeat that nihilism. The story of hope is more powerful than the nihilism that the story doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right? I got... Yeah, you. that was pretty well s- summarized for all the nonsense that happens here. There is some nonsense, but it is good nonsense. It's good nonsense. Some interesting stuff with Mondrock that comes back later, which is great because this is the first time we really get a look into that. We get some hints of all the the Ori world stuff, all the monitor stuff that happens in issue one. And then this is where we like, so this is what that nonsense is. And this is what's happening under your world that's causing everything to kind of, you know, go to shit up there. I think one of my favorite beats in Superman Beyond Mm -hmm. is when Captain Adam is holding Ultraman and Ultraman's like shooting lasers at Captain Adam. And he says, I am the endpoint of the idea that created you as like Grant's thoughts Mm -hmm. on Dr. Manhattan. (laughs) It's like, this is where authoritarian removed from humanity. Superman ends up is Mm -hmm. as Captain Adam. And I liked Captain Adam realizing in this that that was not the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that even more because Ultraman feels like Superman, but in the other direction, where it's like an, a version of Captain Adam or Dr. Manhattan is a Superman completely removed from humanity, from emotion. Overman is one that feels like it gave into the worst bits of humanity. And it's like, I'm going to give in all my anger, all the all the greed, all the hate. That's going to become all that I am. Anything in between is gone. I am the worst of this extreme. So it feels like they're on two different sides of the spectrum and Superman's in the middle. So I have to ask in terms of theme, what do you think was the the symbolism behind Captain Adam fusing these two together, Superman and Ultraman? Well, you see, it was a giant homage to Dragon Ball Z. Uh, Dragon Ball Z <laughs> That's is... That's why they did the, the dance. Ultimate, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Boogie Wonderland. Uh, it, all, it keeps coming back. Um, For me, it, it read very much as a need... How do I say For speed. Yes. Family. <laughs> Hit the NOS. Um, I think in order to help people, you have to be at peace with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, and this, this might not be the answer, but it was the answer that made sense to me was that these discordant ideas of Superman had to be made, had to make peace before Superman would be able to effectively Mm-hmm. be what he needed to be to defeat the baddie and i think that was it's a, an interesting lesson for me to to basically invite the worst parts of yourself to lovingly submit right you don't have to destroy them you don't have to pretend they're not there you don't have to spend your whole life being at war at them invite them to come be a productive part of yourself and that, like to that. me, is what that story beat felt like. That's very, very cool. I like that. I like looking at it like that. And I think I actually just... That 
just talked me out of what I was thinking earlier when I described it as a line. It's like Superman is between Captain Adam and Ultraman. I feel like it's more like a, a it's a triangle. We have Superman, Ultraman at the bottom, two opposite sides of a Superman who is still Superman with humanity. And then you have at the top of the triangle, Captain Adam, who is the Superman who's gotten rid of both of those sides of him. He mm-hmm. is not evil. He is not good. He is without humanity. So I like that he was the one who fused these two extremes together. Everything met in the middle of that triangle to form the perfect Superman. Um, I also loved Uberman and Shazam having mm-hmm. to talk to each other. And especially like I met Uberman through multiversity where, I mean, the opening splash is Hitler constipated on the toilet and screaming at somebody. <laughs> right. And I want to go back and read that issue now because I don't remember much of it other than that imagery. But in this, I really liked the idea of having to find a way to create a good world after you have inherited a world that was built by evil. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that to me sounds like what it's like being an American every single day. Yeah. We have inherited the opportunity to create a better world off of the back of evil. And like Uberman says on this, like, I can't, but I can't do anything about how, how this started, but I can abs. but his big question is like, how can I become like you other Superman now that I'm sitting here? Right. And I feel like he is an interesting lead in to the rest of this story where it is, how can you overcome fascism? How can you overcome evil? when it just is your status quo. Like, what do you have to do? I like that. I like that a lot. And it's great having him with Captain Marvel, who's such a a departure from that, because the version of Captain Marvel here from the multiverse is such a big, um, basically direct translation of what those very early Captain Marvel comics were like, which is, I don't want to say like, a G-rated version of Superman, but it's very much comics that like they're the purest form from the golden age. And I yeah. like seeing that contrast between a character who is so good in a way that Superman isn't because he's Superman has more complexities. Captain Marvel is allowed to be who he is because of his, his strengths. And I just like seeing them talk. I like seeing them interact. I lost my train of thought. So I, I wrapped it up really quickly. <laughs> No, I I love this miniseries. I think mm-hmm. easily one of the most underrated Superman stories. I'd never heard of it before what, two days ago when mm-hmm. Grant said that they were sad that it's not better regarded. Like that they're like, I feel like no one remembers that story. And they, they said, I want it to be released separate of Final Crisis so people will just read it as a story. Mm-hmm. My hot take is this is the the Superman story for big brains. <laughs> this is the big brain Superman story. I think a lot of people get too confused and too intimidated by it to appreciate it for what it is. It's just really fun. It's not the it's not the the go-to. It's not as accessible as an all-star Superman or an action comic 775 or uh whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. You I know? did love the homage at the end. 
Yeah. Of that with the wink. I like that. Always good. I liked it. This is a good, I like a good wink in a Superman story. It's good soup. <laughs> it's good soup. Um, do you want to speedo uh, sum up the rest so we can kind of move into themes? We've kind of been meandering. Okay, yeah. So basically, after this, we get some more, at least in this deluxe edition I have, we get some more looks at what was happening on Earth during this time. Um, I really like the Black Lightning um, submit story, mm-hmm. especially also mostly for also in by Grant, mostly for Tattoo Man. I love seeing a character who's regarded as a criminal who does what he can to survive in a world made by evil. And then when it comes down to it, we see that he's not a bad guy after all. And he does do the heroic thing and helps get everyone out when the actual hero, not like, you know what I mean? When Black Lightning is the one who sacrifices himself to make that happen. I like, a good redemption story so so much it interests me every single time you cannot do it poorly agent callus star wars rebels i love you this is this is a fun little issue do you have anything else to add on that one no i think you nailed it i it builds the stakes of what this world is actually mm-hmm. like and what again grant morrison's doing such a good job of talking about how easy it is to let fascism happen to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I have more things to say about that once we get to the theme section. So that's why yes. I'm trying to trying to get there. And we will get through the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there's so much that happens on every page of this. Um, we get another look at the world that's come. We get to see the um the survivors led by Black Canary and Oliver Queen. Um Basically, this is just a world trying to hang on. Just a world literally and figuratively hanging on by a thread. Because Earth is falling into the pit of the multiverse. Because um, Darkseid, he thick. He's really thick. He's pulling everyone down. We get the reintroduction of the um, the Green Lantern Corps. Um, we get to see the heroes making their final stand. Our good um, super team comes back from Tokyo. The heroes have their heroic final battle. Um, and we get to see several people make some pretty important decisions. Like um, Nyx starts coming back to who he's supposed to be. Um, we see Lex Luthor being pushed to the absolute brink by everything he's been forced to do. And I like what happens with him later. I like that he has that moment. Whether it's because he does it for the right thing or because it's out of fear. Still like that he did it. Good for him. Um, Nick's world hand finally gets all of his memories and his powers back. And I'm not sure. Did your issue have the, um, the tie-ins with the Grant Morrison Batman issues? Yes. Okay. Do you want to talk about those real fast? Cause I know you love Grant Morrison Batman. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing I want to say is Grant Moore. One of Grant Morrison's central themes of their Batman was it cannot make sense that everything the comics have told us happened to Batman actually happened. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make a story about how that can't be the case. And so they decide to have Batman die in their Batman run and Batman die in final crisis in two different ways to make you as a reader go and have sparks shoot out of your ears, but then start to embrace 
the meta nature of Batman as a story and as a character Mm -hmm. rather than as someone who's living in our world. Which is very cool because he they like to do the same thing with Superman, but in two very different ways. Batman's is much more grounded. And I liked having this entire look at Batman's life before his inevitable death in the next issue. Mm hmm. Very, very bittersweet. And speaking of the next issue, I answered my question from earlier. Where the hell did Superman go if that only t- if Superman Beyond only took a heartbeat? I forgot that the um, tie-in I spent the entire intro talking about is where he was during this time. Because the um, the Legion kind of had some shit going on with um, Superboy Prime messing up some shit while everything else was... The universe is falling apart and Superboy Prime is still going to be starting some shit. So it starts with Brainiac um, 5. Introducing Superman to, I believe it is called the Gadgetala the Absolute. We just call it the Miracle Machine, which is. Um, Gedola is a Hebrew word meaning absolute, large, huge, big. Oh. So that's just Hebrew for what it says in English next. So how do you say it again? Uh, Well, they wrote it kind of weird. They say Gay Yedola. Okay. Um, but just like Gadol is, and then Gadola would mean like the big, the huge, okay. the absolute. Yeah. Shoot. Nice. There Good you go. catch. There you go. Helps to read Hebrew when you read superhero comics. <laughs> oh, I'll get on it. I'll start my homework. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll send you some. And basically this is the machine that can do anything, which is pretty, pretty nifty when you need to save the universe. How you use it. Hmm? I just like the idea of a a device from the future that runs on thought. That is the final iteration of the of the Green Lantern ring. Only entrusted to Superman to take back with Mm -hmm. him into the past. Well, to take back his memory of so he can rebuild it in the past. Very, very smart. Good plan by Brainiac 5, who, by the way, is the best member of the Legion of Superheroes. Anyways... Um, we get back to the past and things are going pretty poorly for our heroes. Um, we get some fun Tawny stuff, which if you like your talking tigers, He's always, always great. He Talkie is Tawny the best. Rules. One thing I do really appreciate is that Grant gives, um, Diana a leadership role here, which is always very, very appreciated. I like when Dinah is actually respected as the leader she really is. And I like that she beats the sense in the Ollie Queen. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Um, getting We get um, Lex Luthor's, like, not redemption, but the moment he stands against Libra, who we didn't really talk about at the beginning, but Libra's the one who kind of convinces all the villains to go along with this shit. And we'll get into that. I think we can talk more about Libra when we get into the theme stuff, because there's something really poignant, I think, about a single figurehead who unites all of the worst people around a single belief, even if whether or not it's true, you know, mm-hmm. who, who that could possibly have been referring, who I possibly could have been referring to just now is up to the imagination. Could be anyone um, for political, for, for legal reasons. This is a joke. Um, and then we get Batman's sacrifice where Batman not only breaks his rule about guns and um, killing, but makes his final stand, to stop Darkseid with a radion bullet, which the new gods are fatally allergic to, like peanuts. And <laughs> we get the moment that, you know, I have framed on my wall where Batman gets zappity zapped. 
Love it. What did you what did you feel about Batman's death? I mean, loving Grant Morrison's Batman, I really like this moment as Darkseid's big like fuck you, right? That he's going to send if he can't win here, he's going to send Batman through time as a second time bullet to destroy everything with all the energy mm-hmm. he picks up along the way. Like that rules. That is a that is a killer concept. And Ooh, I cannot wait to reread um The Return of Batman and all that time <laughs> times that was another comic i read final crisis i'm like how does batman get back and they're like oh well it's some time travel shit read this and i was reading it i'm like no not ready for that yet no thank you it's brilliant that each issue is bruce wayne as the kind of comic books that led to the creation of superhero comics really? so you have a caveman comic you have a puritan comic you have a cowboy comic you have a pirate comic and then you have a superhero comic oh shit there's a reason for that oh my yeah. gosh yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> and to think Marvel just kind of did it with Captain America just because. <laughs> LOL. Um, and then we get Marvel? Who likes Marvel? <laughs> Losers. That's what we say. It's okay. me. I like it's Marvel. You. And then one of the most powerful moments of pure emotion in this book. Superman returning to not just the battle, but to the planet. And his reaction to Bruce Wayne's death is jaw-dropping because you don't see superman unleashed like this ever he just comes in lasers blazing screaming at the top of his young lungs going full man of steel on the city it is quite the display and just that final panel of issue what is this six yeah of him holding batman's corpse that's um wow just just holy shit wow this Final issue, though, I'm going to need your help with. Because I get the story up until about this point. How everything gets fixed, I get a little, a little lost on. What, and by that, I mean exactly what happens to the people on Earth before Superman activates the, um, the wishing machine. Okay, so... They basically collapse in on themselves, but the superheroes take the uh, the land around the Daily Planet and like remove it, so it's like a little floating island in space, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like the last bastion until Superman does make his wish. Oh no! Then they take that and they anchor it to planet 51 in the multiverse where all of Jack Kirby's babies live. Right. So the story is centered around the new gods and it ends with Kamandi and there on world 51 is where Superman sings his magic note. Dark side hates music. And then all of the supermen from the multiverse come to save them and they end up defeating Darkseid because Darkseid is mortally wounded by Batman, right? And then mm-hmm. his final thing is Superman's song. And then we have we're like, oh, the story's over. Psych! You had to read Superman Beyond because here is 
what's his nugget? The vampire. Mandrock. I'm never going to remember that. I refuse to. <laughs> I refuse to etch that onto my brain. That, okay, no. well, I'm going to force you to. It's going to happen. Yeah, so Lord Voldemort shows up and he <laughs> says, my hairline is ridiculous. I'm here to eat the story. And Superman says, not if there's 52 of us. And then they kick ass. And then Nick Suwatan's like, man, you guys are really doing a good job kicking ass. And then the Green Lanterns Lanterns show up as the light to burn away the darkness, which ruled. And spike this vampire. My favorite game show ruled made a giant spike out of light to kill the darkness vampire and then the oh well you can remember their name you can do it the monitors i'm proud of you i'm so happy the monitors decide that they need to like remove themselves from the story and so they all fade to white, but Nix Uwato, who Uwatan, who doesn't mm-hmm. jive with them anymore, wakes up on Earth. Before we fade to Batman's in Caveman time, baby. <laughs> Perfection. Perfection. And then you just hop to Multiversity and continue the tale. Yeah, and then you just keep vibing along. Oh, also, we forgot to mention that Barry Allen takes a bullet for Superman. He races in front to get Gat to save Superman from the time bullet. Honestly, that's the best use of Barry Allen is taking bullets for other characters. (laughs) Other better characters. Sorry, there we go. Oh, yeah, there there we go. There we go. That cleared things up. Grant's never going to listen to this. I don't have to care about insulting their favorite characters. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Maybe they love our podcast. If they do, honestly. Uh, In my um, brain. In your brain. I think that we're best friends, too. (laughs) Grant, call me. Anytime, Grant. I'm a phone call away. Or an email. The email is right in our Twitter page. Phone number 8675309. Anytime. Exactly. I, unlike Darkseid, do like music. Which is such a good moment. One of the best Superman moments. Period. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it is the last big note of A Day in the Life by the Beatles. I know. Grant in Super Gods says that that is the greatest moment of music and is the sound of the universe being made. And so if there was a note, I would, I would posit it's probably that one. Which song again? A Day in the Life by the Beatles. Day in the Life. Okay, got it. We're going to, we're going to listen to that later. Yeah, there's a big like, wah, at the end of it. That is very cool. And I agree with Grant. It's a very, very good song. Um, so that's. The very, very bare bones version of this whole story that we just spent an hour and 20 minutes going through. We kind of comic story into you. But if you stay around, we're going to do what we do best. And we're going to talk about why it matters. Yeah. 
especially especially this week. So for any of our listeners that are not in the United States or living under a rock, the Supreme Court decided to overturn the landmark case Roe v. Wade from 50 years ago that protected women's rights to bodily autonomy and specifically abortion. This ruling is not in line with the majority opinion of the United States. It represents only the the will of the five Supreme Court justices who made it everyone else's problem, frankly. Mm -hmm. And it's really discouraging. It's really hard to live in a world where it feels like you lose for doing the right thing. Like it, it has felt for six years like the bad guys win for being bad and there's not much we can do about it. Mm-hmm. And the people that are supposed to be helping us aren't and they're just fucking saying poems in front of the Supreme Court and it feels like a joke. Um, and so it felt mm-hmm. appropriate to talk a little bit about a story about fascism, what it looks like in the modern world, and what you do when it seems like the bad guys have won. And I think the fact that this comic was written in 2007 is astonishing. <laughs> it's crazy how much has played out just this way. But I would echo the message of Final Crisis that there can be a happy ending. I think our generation has been sold so much nihilism because that nihilism helps the people who are ruining the world. If we do not believe we can change anything, we will not change anything and they can continue ruining everything, right? Like they don't, the people in charge don't want you to think like, we can turn it around. If it's already too late and it's already long gone, then what's the point? They can keep winning. And I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with the idea of nihilism. I don't agree with the idea of fascism. I think that... Grant Morrison's idea of Darkseid. Because when you look at Darkseid, Jack Kirby's creation, he is very much created from the fascists that Jack had to fight in Europe. He is large, imposing. He is military might. He is war. He is grind you into a pulp. The Darkseid of Final Crisis is a decrepit old man who rules on the suggestion of power. He does not do much in the story other than impose his will on people that are forced to listen to him until those who come with truth and love pull them out of it. I love the final crisis has people pulled out of this by the lasso of truth and by true love's kiss. You know, as cheesy as it sounds, like I really think the only 
lasting weapons against this kind of thought are love and truth. But I also, I mean, yeah, this is a superhero comic. They punch each other, but also like you don't reason with dark side, right? Mm-hmm. Like Batman broke his one rule because he realized you don't reason with dark side. He is the one thing that Batman did not deem fixable. Batman fights some fucked up people and he gives them all the chance to get better. And he does not give fascism incarnate, evil incarnate, the opportunity to be better. He says, there is no world where within your system we fix the world. So you've got to go. And I absolutely think that, again, just like Final Crisis says, like, I loved in Final Crisis, it says... Superman and the superheroes aren't going to beat him. But then Superman Beyond and the story teaches the idea of the superhero can. Like the ideas they espouse, the hope, the love, the truth. Those are things that can help us fight fascism in real life. And that is why I we wanted to talk about Final Crisis this week. Because it does feel like the bad guys have won. It feels like Earth is sinking. But I fully believe that we too can wish for a better ending and we can do things to make that better ending happen. Mm-hmm. They they are decrepit old people that are ruling on a suggestion like Darkseid. Mm-hmm. Suggestion and lies. And it's not going to be easy. And I think the important thing about having this in a superhero story and getting to see that is that the understanding that this will be a fight, that this will be something that people will have to work to fix. And we will not get anything to change by just sitting down and accepting it. I, it's, really hard especially um the further away you are for everything to feel like anything you can do can make a difference but in an age where we're so connected i don't think anyone should undervalue the importance of their voices whether it's online whether it's with your loved ones whether it's with people you work with people you know this is something that we're going to have to to fight against at all times. And it's not going to be comfortable always. And it's not always going to be pretty, but it's something that has to happen for the world to, for there to be that chance for that love to come in and for us to get better. We have to start somewhere. And I think that's very, very important to recognize Something that I really liked reading this after we spent so much time talking about the idea of submitting to loving authority mm-hmm. was then juxtaposing the idea of giving in to the anti-life equation. And something I spent all week thinking about and it's something I'm going to continue thinking about. But what I've come to is fascism wins when we do nothing. If you do nothing, 
they will win. You become complicit in the world they are creating by just giving up, giving in. And we, you have to actively seek out good. You have to actively be a voice for good. You have to actively lift up the people around you. Um, Grant Morrison said that they were inspired to write this story by the the fact that they felt that the anti-life equation was being preached to them everywhere, that we'd already lost, the world was ruined, there was no hope of a better world, and everybody is just being cruel to each other all the time. A thou- dark side in this story is a thousand little acts of spite. There is no singular huge dark side moment. Just like in the real world, there is no singular huge moment. It is a death by a thousand cuts. But you do not have to participate in that system. We do not have to participate in that system. We can imagine a better world. We can imagine a better tomorrow. And we can build that tomorrow. They win when we do nothing, but they cannot win. Historically, the fascists have not won when the people stand up to them and say no more. And I I very much want to be a part of the generation that saved the world from all this. I don't want to pass the buck further down. I don't want to make it... Mm-hmm the younger generation's problem. I don't want to give up. I don't want to give in to the anti-life equation. And I think we can do it. I really do. I really believe we can do it. Mm-hmm. Beautifully well said. I think the power of this story and the power of art in general reminds us of that. We're not the uberhuman. We're not Superman, but we are still strong and we still move the people around us. And we still experience all those beautiful, beautiful moments in life with the people we love and the things we enjoy. It's something that's worth fighting for so that One day all of this will stop and the people won't have to fight for it anymore. It's accepting that burden, that responsibility. Something I really like that Grant said in one of their recent Xanadu posts was their definition of magic is a life with purpose. So when you do things in your life, you do it with the purpose of a desired result. You do something kind, you put goodness out into the world, expecting the result of kindness to be returned to you. And I think that the world can be changed with that kind of magic. If with intentionality, with everything that we have, we work towards a better world, fully intending and believing that that world can and will exist, I think that it's a kind of world that we can create. And I think it's the kind of world that you listener and you and me dallas can create but only with intentionality we're not going to accidentally Mm -hmm. fix the world it is deciding to 
be the voice for change, deciding to stand up to the bullies, the predators, the creeps, deciding to be kind to the outcast, the downtrodden, deciding to stand for something to not just be whatever is most convenient at the time, whatever is the easiest. And I think that it really can be the final crisis. You know, this doesn't have to be a recurring issue. It really can be something that we solve by creating the happy ending with our intentionality. I don't have anything to add to that. Should you... we should we do <laughs> some end credits? My laptop's going to die, so I don't think we can do questions this week. Oh, that is perfectly okay. Anyone with questions, we will take care of it at a later date, we promise. We'll come back to this. Some other time. Some other time. Maybe we'll do it on our Twitter page, which you can follow at CMX Collective. Or you can follow each of us individually at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou Comics underscore comics. I don't know. I, yeah, there we go. Almost. You almost had it. Also, if you want to leave us a five-star review, that would be fantastic. You can leave that anywhere. They'll let you leave it. Um, if you want to write us a five-star review, we'll even read it out on the show. And we'll like you better than most people. Yeah, so. that that is true. You, you will be what you into like the top 10. <laughs> it absolutely will. Um, also, we will be covering next week. Uh, are you ready for this? Oh my gosh. Some iteration of Jason Aaron's Thor. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't decided yet. <sighs> we really need to talk about that as a group. Hey, we'll do it off camera. That's fine. Hey, <laughs> Come back next week for some Thor. Will it be about a god butcher or a lady? Who knows? If I were a betting man, I'd choose lady. But who knows? Ooh. Candy Mountain, Charlie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Double rainbow across the sky. <laughs> this, this, was, this was fun. I enjoyed this. It was a good time. Final Crisis is a good book. Go read it. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.